burst all confinements and lead them out into the open. They'll follow their king, and I will be out in front leading them. New Living Translation says, Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy city, back to your own land. Your king will lead you to the Lord himself. The king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. So I hope that during this series, I have faithfully presented the message of the gospel, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but through the Son, Jesus. Okay? He has broken us out of our bondage. He has set us free from the power of sin over our lives. So there's clarity in that message that today, if you walk away with anything, it is that. He has broken us out of our bondage. He has set us free from the power of sin over our lives. Okay? He has broken the strongholds in our families. We talked about that. We talked about all the things that, that you know, my, the background of my family, the alcoholism, the drug addiction, uh, uh, the, the psychological abuse, all the hurt and the trauma. And then God has broken us out of that. And then he has broken our cultural positions. Some of the things we walk around with culturally, where we, we say, oh, we don't do that. You know, we don't laugh, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that God broke us out of that. We're not subjected to that. So if there's any message I hope you understand from this, it is that, that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that he died on the cross to wash you of your sin. You don't have to walk in the shame, guilt, or emptiness that sin left you with. Charles Spurgeon said this, Nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the Creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. The emptiness of everything else. So I, I want to kind of, this, this concluding thought for this series, I want to first provoke your mind, okay? I want you to get into this, this understanding of uh, this, the few questions I want to ask you. The first one would be this, have you ever had something that you treasured? Ever had something that you valued that was just like, man, I love this thing? You know, uh, maybe a collector's item, you know, maybe, I don't know, for some guys a car. You know, there's, there's items, there's things that you just love or something you invested into. Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, some of you are day traders or, you know, you're into like stonks and cryptocurrency and, <laughs> and you, you buy this stuff and, and you're like stonks or something from Reddit. So <laughs> so so you, you invest into these things and you value it and you almost look at it daily like like look this is what I did you know like this is me and and something that you valued so you, have you ever had something that you treasured that's the question that's the frame of mind I want you to be in uh, a few times in my life God has asked me to give something up God has asked me to let it go to to release it to actually resign from something to to stop doing something. A few times in my life, God has asked me to do that. And I remember for a while, there was this one thing that, that was kind of, it wasn't a big deal, but it was something I kind of valued. And it was this document that brought representation of my role as a pastor. Uh, it's, it's just a document, and it basically said, this here certifies that Gabriel Menchaca is an ordained minister, blah, blah, blah. It had all this information. And, you, and I would put it up on my wall and in my office, you know, people came in like, oh, yeah, you know, you're a real pastor, you know? And it was kind of like, yes, yes, I am. You know, look at it. You know, I have many leather books, you know? <laughs> like, that, that whole idea where I valued this paper. And uh, it, 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 I remember a small thought that God just put in my spirit. Uh, would you still consider yourself a pastor if no one else recognized you as one? Not in the sense of, of would you still think of yourself as Pastor Gabriel? But would you consider yourself as the person who served as such without a title? 
Meaning, how do, can I still serve people? Like, what if my church was with homeless people? Like, what if, what if that was the pastoral role that God asked me to take? Where there was no glory. There was just literally a service. And, and it was just this question that, that just kind of started going in me. Would you still read and pray and study even if no one was listening? Because a lot of times what happens, and I'm sharing, you, sharing with you one of the things that happens with pastors and church leaders, is you can become kind of like desensitized. And you have this role. And you start doing things just because it's part of the role. Now, now, God brought me back to this place of mystery where it was like, man, I'm just curious about God. I'm curious about the Bible. And so I would read and study and pray because I was curious, genuinely, like, what the heck does that mean? Like, you know, like, so for me, that's what kind of what drove me. But there was a time when I would study and read and pray only because I was going to preach. And that was my study time. That was my prayer time was because I had to do something. So I have to do this right now. So the question began to challenge me more and more. And, and would you still value the title and role if you got no praise? Think about this. And this is something that God started challenging me with. You know, would you still call yourself a pastor if I had you go preach in the park to two people who's sleeping on a bench? You know, and God really started challenging me with this because it was this document that I had. And not only was it for me, it was these other people that, were part of this process that certified me as a pastor. And this question just began to, to take things out of frame for me. We were moving recently, and I remember I saw that document stuffed in a shoebox, folded up out of its frame. My daughter had like crumbled it up. And I just remember looking at it thinking like, hey, that, that used to be important to me. <laughs> it used to be important to me. It was in a frame on the wall, and I found it in a shoebox all crumpled up, and I was like, hey, okay. But this happened, and it was something that God began just reminding me of, of my relationship with him is what matters more than everything else. And I believe God was asking me to break something for him, to break something in my own life, the accomplishment or recognition of a role. Like, recognition is a big deal. We all love it. We do. Like anybody here that says like, oh, I don't like to be recognized, you may just not like it a certain way, but you love it. <laughs> you know, some of you are like, I don't like being recognized, don't call me up in front of everybody. But if I gave you $200 gift card, say you've done a great job, you'd be like, oh, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> recognize me every week, you know? Like, th this is the reality, we all love recognition. And, and there's some things that, that God may start asking us to say, don't be recognized. Don't, don't focus on that. Serve. You know, and, and this is for me where God started challenging me. Would I still have the heart for his people if no one cared to give me a title? Would I still value God's people? And I'm not just saying you. I'm saying other people all around. You know, at work, you know, when I go to the store, would I value God's people if I did not have a title? N.T. Wright says this. You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. And this kind of puts things in the frame for us. The thing that we value, the thing that we treasure, 
the thing that has become somewhat of a north star in our life. And I say that, you know, metaphorically of like, you center your life around it. You know, like, I'm not saying the Super Bowl, but I'm saying like, like the Super Bowl. <laughs> Some people, it's, it's, this is it. We're closing in on the big game. <laughs> life is real now, you know, like, and their whole life is centered around this one thing. And, and N.T. Wright says, you become like what you worship. And believe it or not, when you center your life around something, you are worshiping it. And I know that sounds like, what? Like, <laughs> what I'm saying is this. We as Christians worship God. So our lives are centered around him. The other things that go on, that's fine. That's fun. But if it's the centerpiece of our life, that's the thing that has to be questioned. We become like what we worship. Uh, let's get into some scripture. And I'm going to take us into uh, the Synoptic Gospels. Luke 10, 38 through 42 first. Luke 10, 38 through 42. I'm going to turn now. Can somebody grab me my water? I have no clue what happened to it. Oh. <laughs> Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So we're painting this picture here, okay? There's Martha and Mary. I want to focus on Mary. Mary is, uh, in 39, it says, And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So they had all these guests come into the house. And instead of her helping to serve, she went and sat at Jesus' feet and was like a guest in her own house. She just acted like, like you know, hey, yeah, take care of that, Martha. I want to be right here with Jesus. You know, and, and that's, how, that's how she was. And, and this Mary would sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen, just wanting to be around him. And Jesus says she chose the good portion. And so here's the situation. They had a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus, sorry, Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus, their brother, and he dies. Okay, so he dies. This, this is just after this, this situation at the house. And she's, Martha and Mary were with Jesus. Mar uh, Mary was in love and just like, oh my gosh, I just got to hear every word he's saying. I got to sit next to him. I got to be around him. I just got to soak in what he's saying. It's just, this, this, I got to be around him. And then, and then they have a brother, and he dies. So then the setting is, is now in John, uh, book of John, chapter 11, verses 28 through 33. And so the situation is completely shifted. It's, it's like a different mindset. They're in a different kind of like cultural worldview. It's just like they're in mourning. It's sad. And, and so in John 11, 28 through 33, it says this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So Martha's telling Mary, Jesus is here. 
He's calling for you. And this is the same Mary that, that was at the feet of Jesus, like wanting to pay attention, wanting to be around him, just wanting to be close to him. And Jesus comes into town, and she doesn't even get up to go to him. And Martha tells her, hey, he's asking for you. He's asking for you. And verse 29, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. In verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Have you ever blamed God? I know I have. I've gotten angry. God, why did you allow this? Why did you let them? You know, just an anger. Of God, why did you do this? Why, why did this happen? You ever blamed God for something bad that has happened? Or got angry because something happened or because something didn't happen? That's a big one. We pray. We're like, God, do this for me. I'm praying, please, Lord. You fast and pray and nothing happens. And you can get angry. You get angry at God. And, and this is this, this reaction that Mary has. She literally tells Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, that's, that's, that's faulting. That's saying, this is your fault. This is what Mary said to Jesus. This is your fault. And she gets angry because this situation, Craig Rochelle says this, and it's just a thought, something to think about. If God has done what you think he should do, trust him. If God doesn't do what you think he should do, trust him. If you pray and believe God for a miracle and he does it, trust him. If your worst nightmare comes true, believe he is sovereign. Believe he is good. But this is hard to do. This is Mary, you know, and, and this is like, like us. We get angry. We're like, God, why did you do this? I was hoping this would happen. I was praying for this. And this is the emotional state Mary was in when she said this. And, and the same person that sat at his feet and listened closely to every word that was shared is now blaming him for the negative thing that happened. You know, it, we'll, we'll go further. In John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So let's stop there. The brother that died, okay, the brother that died, the one that Mary got mad at Jesus said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. He was raised from the dead. So this miraculous thing, this is the setting that has happened. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. He was hanging out with Jesus, this dead guy that came back to life, hanging out with Jesus. In verse 3, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, uh, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? And in that situation, you find the shortest scripture in the entire Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35, it says Jesus wept. That's the shortest scripture in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. And then we see Mary again, and she comes with this prized possession, this treasure, this thing that, that was for sure valuable. We know that simply from historical context, okay? What she had is called nard, okay? It's actually like a longer word that's very hard to pronounce, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> but it grew in the Himalaya mountains, Himalayas, and was brought into the region uh, basically for sale, this and that, but it's super expensive. So remember, they didn't have cars or planes back then, so they would like bring this in on camelback. It was over 3,000 miles away that it was brought in. So this is further than L.A. to New York. This was further. So they brought this, this ointment, this perfume, this thing was brought in. It was expensive, hard to get, a treasure. If you had it, you were probably pretty wealthy. And so she has this thing, and it says that she opened it up and poured it out on him. And it was, it was like this, think of it like this. You have this item that is a, a collector's edition. You're not supposed to open it. And in front of everybody, she opens it. And right away, it's like, oh my gosh, she just lost $10,000 in value. <laughs> you know, like, it, it was this expensive thing. But she opens it in front of everybody, and she pours it on Jesus. And, and it was this prized possession, a treasure, that even those around her knew the value of. Like, people around you, they, they know some of the things that you have are of value. And speaking to all the ladies, you, you buy the expensive bag so people can be like, oh, dang, she got that one. You know, like... <laughs> That's, you know, some guys do it too, most, mostly with shoes. But you buy the expensive stuff because you want people around you to be like, oh, wow, like, they have those. Eddie knows what I'm talking about, huh? No, <laughs> <laughs> what we see here is something similar to our Christian walk. In the beginning, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus in love with him. Just, just her attention is, is nowhere else. It's with Jesus. It's not even in the duties that she should have been performing. It's with Jesus. And, and we see this comparison to our Christian walk where we come to know Jesus and he saves us from our sin. And we're just like in love with who he is. And that's all we want to do. And then some real life things start to happen. Some real world stuff. People dying like Mary and Martha, their brother dies. Uh, you know, we don't get the job we wanted. You're still single. Uh, you don't have the amount you need to make the payment. You know, this real life, this real world stuff starts to happen. And then our response begins to come from a place of emotion that says, Jesus, if you would have been here with me, this wouldn't have happened. And you get to that place of blaming God when you at first loved him. You knew him. You were like, I got to be around him. And then you get to that place and all these things start to happen. And you start blaming God, saying, God, where were you in all of this? If you would have been here with me, this wouldn't have happened. But what happens is as soon as we see the miracle, we come to him with true humility. See, the whole time, 
Mary was was in love with Jesus, like, man, I just got to be around him. And then, and then she gets angry at him because her brother died. But, but she didn't know who he really was. She didn't know that, that he had this power to raise her brother from the dead. So it didn't matter that he died. Jesus had this power, and, and she didn't know who he was. But when she found out who he was, she broke whatever valuable thing she had and gave it to him. And this is the reality of our Christian walk. When we come to that place, once we realize who he really is, there's no way that your treasures or your valuables or your idols or your earthly goals are still more important. There's no way. I had it written down, not in a profane way, but like there's no way in hell that your treasures are more important than him. In, in a way that says that God, we don't, we don't go to hell because of who he is. And there's nothing more important than him. And, and looking at all these things, Charles Spurgeon says this, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. And that's a harsh reality of what it means to be a Christian. And, and, I, and if you're offended, I hope, I hope so. Because I would rather offend you here today and tell you the truth than you walk out and think that you can come in and, and just be like, oh, yeah, like Jesus is cool. Yeah, I'm good. I made it on Sunday. I'm good. I'm talking about the centerpiece of your life, the thing that we should revolve around. And I'm not saying church. Let me be very clear with you. Coming to church is not the centerpiece of your life. And I know that's hard to hear for some of you because it's like, oh, well, where's Jesus then? The reality of relationship with Christ himself is the centerpiece. This is a help. This is an encouragement, an edification to build you up, to say, man, there's other people who have Jesus at the center of their life. But the reality is this. If he is not everything, he is nothing to you. Mark 14, 3 through 9, we read again uh, uh, of this account of Mary, and I love the way Mark puts it. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon, the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. See, like I was saying, Jesus breaks some things in our life. He breaks us out, man. He breaks some things, and we're able to walk out. We're able to get out, and, and like, like Jesus is a real, like, he's Savior. There's some of us, I mean, man, some, some of us should be, I'm not, there's prison. Some people should be in prison. Some people should be in a broken relationship. So, so, you know, God restores and, and he's broken curses and cultural worldviews and he's broken these things. And some of the things that you deserve, you did not get because of him saving you. And the reality is this, when we look at who Jesus is and the breaker he is, and then we look at our own lives and we think like, oh, all the things of value, those are worth more than Jesus. Like Mary goes to him and breaks it and pours it over his head and says, you know, this thing. You're more valuable. You're more valuable than that. 
The breaker will not leave you alone. He will go before you. He will defend you. He will stand with you. What seems as foolishness to the world, when done in true humility and submission to Christ, will be considered a beautiful thing. What I say is true humility. It's, It's understanding who Jesus is. Remember, Mary sat at his feet and was like in love with him. And honestly, like all of us, man, we go through this, this phase where it's just like, man, we just love Jesus. You know, we come to church and people are like, hey, man, you know, what, what's, what do you want to do? And you're like, oh, I just want to love Jesus, bro. You know, like I remember talking to one guy. He's a really well-known worship leader now. We're uh, talking about one guy with my brother who was in a class with him. And my brother tells me he had this conversation with him. And this guy was like, they were saying like, you know, hey, what do you want to do for the Lord? He's like, bro, I just want to go on the beach and worship Jesus. And it was like, well, who wouldn't want to do that? You know, like, like that's, that'd be an amazing time. Like, who wouldn't want to go chill at the beach and sing songs? Like, I mean, yeah, let's do it. But there's a reality of like, but what about when you lose that awe and that wonder and real life starts to happen and the cops kick you off the beach because it's closed now and like, where are you going to go worship? You know, like, it's just realities of life and, and how we, we must understand that our relationship with him must be the centerpiece of our life. And that the things that hold us outside of that must be broken. The things that we value more than him being the centrality of who we are, what we do, how we function, our relationships, our understanding of love. And that's something that I would want to stay on for just one minute. Our understanding of love. What you have been taught by your culture, your family, your background, is, is not necessarily accurate. And when you don't put Jesus at the center of your life, you don't understand love. When, like, that's why people get in these unhealthy relationships, and it's like, uh, you know, oh, oh, I, I love him, oh, she loves me, you know, like, and it's like, but you, like, you, you're both in jail because of your relationship, like, and it's like, but there's a reality there because you've centered it around that relationship. Once you put Jesus at the center, you begin to understand this is what love is supposed to be. Not what I thought, because what I thought is inaccurate. You know, and putting Jesus at the center creates an understanding and a clarity of how to move forward in health. We are most like Christ when we break the strongholds in our life. We are most like him. Whatever God has given you, understand he didn't give it to you to trap you. Whatever, there's some of you that have passions, you're good at things, you're, you're really good at things. I, like, I don't know everybody in detail, but you might be really good at something. And, and you're maybe, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I want you to understand this. God gave that to you. That thing that you're good at, that thing that you really enjoy, God gave that to you. He created you. He knows you. But what I'm saying is when that thing becomes more important than him, that's where it's wrong. But there's things that we're really good at that we can start to do to bring glory to who he is. Whatever God has given you, understand he didn't give it to you to trap you. He gave it to you to break open and pour out. To use it for him. To say, I'm good at this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring glory to, to Jesus by being really excellent at this. And I mean in all areas. Some of you might be really good, like, uh, I don't know, IT people. <laughs> you know? 
You might be really good at a, a construction, like really good at it. And the way you bring glory is by being excellent at that. And people say, man, that guy's really good. Man, that lady, she's, she's amazing at what she does. And then people get around you like, man, like you're, you're very good. Yeah, I want to please my Lord and Savior Jesus. So I do everything with excellence. I'm not doing it for people around me. You know, I'm doing it for God because I want my, my, what I do to glorify him. And, and, and this is the thing that when we talk about breaking some things in our own life, saying, God, I value this. I wanted to do this for me. But I'm going to break it, and I'm going to do it for you. That's the reality of, of what it means in our Christian walk, where Mary was so infatuated with Jesus, and then she was angry at him. And then she comes to him and, and literally breaks the most valuable thing she has and says, Lord, you're more valuable than this. I didn't know who you really were. Like, I thought I knew you, but now I know who you really, really are. And there's nothing of more value than you.